Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pastoral Thoughts Podcast, and this is your host, Jack Young. And once again, in studio, we got uh, Brother Mike Watson with us, and we are talking about Christian apologetics. And so this is episode number two. If you're dialing in for number two, you might want to go back and listen to episode number one. On this episode, we'll be talking about the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters and how uh, how we can have a defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what is apologetics? We better go over this one more time. Yep. So apologetics is being able to give a defense of what you believe to be true. And scripturally speaking, uh, Peter commands us to give an answer to everyone that's seeking a reason of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. And we need to be able to give biblical answers to defend the Christian faith, to defend the, the central doctrines, the deity of Christ and the infallibility of the scriptures. And it, it's been a sad thing in our country over the last few generations to see young people grow up in church and then get challenged with secular ideas, either in school or in the world around them or through social media or whatever, and not be able to get satisfactory scriptural answers from their youth leaders or their pastors or their parents even, and then fall away, mm-hmm. thinking that, all right, this is just a religion and nothing more. There's no truth to it. And that's a that's a travesty, and our children are at risk of that if we are not able to uh, defend the faith to them mm-hmm. and teach them not just what we believe, but why we believe it. And the Bible is a book that's based in evidence. And, and it says there that we are to give an answer for the hope that is within us. So there, there right. is answers. There are answers. And we are Absolutely. to be looking and searching for them. Absolutely. Most of the great apologists today are people who were at one time unbelievers, who searched for the truth, and many of them with the motive to prove Christianity wrong. That's right. And instead were converted themselves. Yep. yep. And, and so it's good for our own household at the church and also our personal household, you know, our, our own families, apologetics is, uh, and then also in evangelism. So why in postmodernist America is apologetics more important than ever? Because the fastest growing religion in the country is secular humanism, mm-hmm. atheism or agnosticism or just general skepticism that of all the world religions, let alone Christianity— and in order for us to fulfill the Great Commission and to lead as many as 30% of our country now identifies this way, if we're going to lead those people to Christ, mm-hmm. then we need to be able to answer those objections. And we talked in the last episode about a great starting point for that when you encounter somebody who doesn't believe in God at all, let alone the Christian God. Ask them this question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? If the answer to that question is yes, then they have real intellectual issues that evidence needs to be provided in order to inform them mm-hmm. of the reasonableness of Scripture, of the truth of Scripture, and then they can be persuaded by what they know to believe in it, just like Paul says in Second Timothy. If the answer to that question is no, even if it's true, I will not become a Christian, well, now we're dealing with not an atheist, but an anti-theist, someone who doesn't have an intellectual obstacle to belief. They have a moral ob- objection. They right. don't want they, to they get saved. They do not want there to be a God, yep. and they do not want um, to know if Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. Yeah, they don't want the accountability that comes with that. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to live their life. They want to be free to indulge in whatever it is they want to indulge in without guilt or conscience or judgment. 
And the simple fact of the matter is that's not the case. They're going to stand before God one day. And in that case, though, you really, what are you, you can't, you're not going to run through the Romans road with somebody like that. No. The best you can do is just try to give them a verse of scripture to think about and then pray for them and, you know, let the Lord continue to work in their life until maybe they are more mm-hmm. open and pray that somebody else would come mm-hmm. and be able to water that seed. But so, if somebody's so when, open, when you ask somebody and you say, um, now, the question is, uh, if Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God, mm-hmm. and that was true, would you, would you want to believe? What, what, is that what you're asking? Yeah, you could probably ask it a couple ways. Okay. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Okay. If the Bible was true, would you believe it? I kind of, it's kind of different yeah. ways of asking the same general question, just just to reveal what's in their heart mm-hmm. and in their mind. What are the obstacles to faith for this individual that I can deal with them on, so that they can get to a place where they'd be willing to listen and right. receive the gospel? Right. And so there's going to be a certain people that we would call them truth seekers. Yes. That are really truly looking for the truth, and I believe Absolutely. that we live in a very confusing day and age. Yeah. Uh, and it, it is um, when you don't have a constant authority, there is no baseline for the truth and everyone comes to their own truth. It's very confusing and it's very scary for a lot of people. Uh, and, and so I, I believe that in our society, there's people who are uh, lost and they know they're lost and they are seeking the truth. Uh, and so with uh, honesty and integrity, they could say, I would like to become a Christian if you could convince me. That's right. And I think particularly amongst the young generation today that's growing up in this just cesspool of relativism mm-hmm. and moral rot and decay, that it seems like there's an, an epidemic of hopelessness, just listless people that don't know that there really is a purpose to their existence. And they're seeking it. Mm-hmm. And they should be because it's mm-hmm. innate in them. Right? And, and, and God wants to reveal himself to them, but they don't know where to look. We're, it's such a secular age where you know most kids are not growing up in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. They don't have a they don't have any knowledge of the Ten Commandments. They don't have any knowledge of God as the Creator. They don't know any of this stuff. But they're seeking, and I think we as Christians need to be prepared through study and prayer to to know how to give those people um, the evidence and the proof in the Scripture in such a way that they would they would want to know more. So if I ask my friend or neighbor, I said. If uh, Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God or Christianity were true, and I could prove that to you that it was true, do you think that you would want to become a Christian? And they say, yes. Now where do I go? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's there's a few different starting places. If, if they're a straight-up atheist, um, you could certainly start in the Scripture, but start in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? If, if they're an atheist, then most likely they don't believe in biblical creationism, mm-hmm. right? So start there. Start with establishing the fact that, number one, there is a God. And he made you in his image. He made you, the purpose for mankind is revealed in Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. We were made to give him pleasure. Mm-hmm. And Adam and Eve in that original creation, they're there and they're, they're fellowship and they're walking together. But there's a problem. And then you can talk about sin and you can talk about its consequences and you can talk about its penalty. And I preached the gospel right from Genesis chapter 3 with that lamb. I believe it was a lamb that God killed, uh, slain there to dress them in clothes of righteous, or in robes of righteousness, uh, so to speak. And, um, and so I use that, and I kind of build on that, take them through the law of God, you know, how we reveal what sin is. I use it. To, I think the Ten Commandments are the ideal tool, right, that I, I, I've heard you know, I forget which hymn it is off the top of my head, but then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Right, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta reveal that it wasn't just 
them that had a sin problem. It's not just me that has a sin problem. You have a sin problem. Mm-hmm. And some people, they're, they're ignorant. Some are just self-righteous. And there's a lot of <laughs> uh, particulars in between those two where people might be, but you can use that to allow the Holy Spirit again to start convicting them. Mm-hmm. So I put forth evidence to help them. If they're truly an atheist who has intellectual objections, then you can go the philosophical route at start, walk through the various arguments um, for the existence of God, and then begin to winnow it down to why the scripture is unique versus all other books and and lay that as a scriptural foundation for why it can be believed. And then ultimately, you're going to get down to who is Jesus. And we didn't talk about this in the last episode, I don't think, but I think it's also important to have some understanding, especially if you're going to be a soul winner because you're going to meet all kinds of people, mm-hmm. <clears throat> about the beliefs of other religions and how to refute those beliefs scripturally. Because if I was, I was Catholic growing up, and so that's my reference point. <clears throat> so I'll use the Catholic catechisms as an example. If that says one thing about Jesus... And the Bible says something else about Jesus. They both can't be right. Right. So how do you know which one is more authoritative? How do you know which one is true? Right. And so, again, that's where your, your knowledge of the Scripture and being able to show that what the Bible says is true. Um, and, and you're kind of forcing that person to think through the logic of all of that. And, again, with the preaching of Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict them and lead them and convict them that, no, this is true. Because different belief systems present Jesus differently. Mm-hmm. The Muslims believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The Jews believe in Jesus. The Catholics believe in Jesus. The Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they all believe in Jesus. But they all believe in a different Jesus. Right. And 2 Corinthians 11 talks about how there's different Gospels and there's different Jesuses. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, I would say even in modern evangelicalism, evangelicalism there's right. different Jesuses. Right. And, and G- Jesus reveals himself through Scripture. And uh, if you don't uh, worship the Jesus revealed, field through scripture, then you're worshiping the, a figment of your own imagination yeah. or um, your own God. What, whatever religion that you're involved with says about Jesus. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you're clarifying people who Jesus is. Exactly. With the word of God. Exactly. And then you can get yourself down to that point where you can really preach the gospel to him. And again, if you're still dealing with obstacles in apologetics, then, you know, people say that Jesus resurrected from the dead, but that can't be right. Well, hold on a second. So, again, many people believe that Jesus was a good man. He was um, a good teacher, maybe even a prophet. Now, that's what people were saying about him when he was there. Same things are being said now. Mm-hmm. But Jesus in the Gospels doesn't give us the option no. to accept no. him as merely those things. No. He definitively, repeatedly declares himself to be God in the flesh. I and the Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father. He's eternal before Abraham was. I am. Um, that I, I'm not come to destroy the law. I'm come to fulfill every jot and tittle. Yep. You know, as some guy stood before you and said, I am the embodiment of the law of God. Yeah. Or <laughs> I mean, God I in thought, the Old Whoa. Testament said I would, this. I would step back and wait for lightning to strike <laughs> right? that person. God said this, but I say unto yes. you. Yes. I mean, he's putting his and own he says, words. I am the way, singular. I yep. am the truth, singular. Yep. I am the life, yep. singular. Yep. So, you know, I know in mere Christianity, you know, C.S. Lewis says, you know, he's either, uh, you know, a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. So Lord. either he's like the biggest liar and deceiver who ever lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're evil. You're not a good teacher if you're saying that I am God and there's no way to the Father but through me. I am the source of life. So you're either 
deceiving everybody or you're truly crazy. Yep, exactly. You're a lunatic or else you are Lord. Exactly right. And no other, no other option. And so when we think about his claims, many have claimed to be God, but he has unique credentials to back up that claim. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about in the previous episode, his fulfillment of prophecy, prophecy. is on its own mm-hmm. an overwhelmingly persuasive fact Prophetic pattern. fulfillment. You have the pedigree of Christ at the beginning of Matthew and the beginning of Luke, yep. uh, where it traces his genealogy. Uh, and he is of the line of David, yep. tri- line of a tribe of Judah. Yep. And, and, and then, you know, the virgin birth and all those things are, are validated by the resurrection, which we'll talk to, but also just the fact that he lived a sinless life and a miraculous life, which is unique. And so you see people like John and Peter uh, who believed in him and were with him. You'd think about if somebody gets called into court to give a, uh, be a character witness, mm-hmm. then you're going to want somebody who's with this individual all the time and has inside access, so to speak. And they say he's without guile. He's sinless, right. you know, uh, and all these other things. But then you also have the testimony of those that didn't believe in him, like Pilate, right. like Pilate's wife, right. like the centurion, like the dying thief, like all these people that are around and bear witness to, oh, there's something different about this guy. Mm-hmm. And then you have all the miracles that he performed. And we talked about how in other religions, there, there is no prophecy like no. this. There is no miraculous activity through which you could look at that person and say, Oh, he's exerting power over his creation. He must be the creator, right? right? Walking on water and calming storms and, and raising the dead. Uh, no, there's nobody else that can do these things. And then there's the fundamental doctrine of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the, if it's not for this, there is no Christianity. Right. And the Apostle Paul says that there be no resurrection. <laughs> We're of all men most, most miserable. Most miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it comes to the resurrection, I think it's important to understand for your own edification and growth, but also to be able to explain to someone else that there's really only two scenarios. The, the Apostles, the New Testament writers, they are clear that the resurrection happened. So your only two choices are it either did or it didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if it did, well, then, like you said, he's Lord. Right. You better listen to what he says, and you better receive him. Right? But, okay, what if it didn't happen? Well, then two, two things are true there as well. Either the apostles were not telling the truth, or they themselves were deceived in some way. Mm-hmm. All right? So let's, let's examine those. Would the apostles lie about the resurrection? Well, the first thing that you try to prove in a criminal case, in a murder case, is motive. motive. Do the apostles have motive for trying to preach a resurrected Christ? Let's think about this. They're Jews. They're already part of God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. They have witnessed over the last three and a half years individuals who had gotten healed of their infirmities on Sabbath days and then be completely excommunicated from their entire life, lose their families, lose their jobs, lose their homes, and be alien from the covenants that they had believed and all the promises they believed their whole life. Why would, why would they want that? And then number two, they, prayed a, they paid a great price for right. preaching that message. When you go through the book of Acts, you know, they get arrested and they're threatened. They get let go. They get arrested, they get threatened, and they get beaten, and then they let go. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to chapter 7, they're getting killed now. Right. And yet 
it doesn't dissuade them. No, and I think it's 11 of the 12. Yeah, I, I believe that's from right. unnatural causes. That's right. I think only they, John. They were all martyred. Yep. Yes. Yep. So, so they, they, and now how many people would, would uh, be driven to the ends of the earth, persecuted, incarcerated, um, suffer all manner of abuse, yep. finally be uh, die a martyr's death for a lie. Yeah, and then think about the Apostle Paul. He's on the other side of that right. thing. Yeah, he had everything going for him. He's 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 making out like a bandit, mm-hmm. you know, with orders from the high priest, with these letters of extradition and all these other things, and then he gives that all away. Yeah. And then gets beaten by those yeah. same people yeah. 20 he, chapters he, later. Yeah. Um, and so it's not reasonable to believe that they lied. Mm-hmm. Well, then were they deceived? Well, they had no expectation as they're sitting in the upper room that there was going to be a resurrection. Even though Jesus had told them multiple times Explicitly. it was going yes. to happen, um, they are cowering for their life, afraid that the Jewish leaders or the Roman guards are going to burst into the upper room, arrest them, and do the same thing that they had just fled from. Mm-hmm. So they're not expecting it. And again, when they go out and start preaching it, just think about The Jews hate the preaching of the resurrection. That was the reason that they were being arrested and being beaten and threatened and all those things. They had the power to convince the Romans to put them on the cross. They had the power to convince Pilate to put guards and a seal on the tomb because they actually believed that he said he might Mm -hmm. resurrect, Mm -hmm. right? They had the power to pay off uh, the bounty that would have been on those Roman guards that were derelict in their duty on resurrection morning because they let... A dead mm-hmm. man get away, right? So he secured their freedom. All they would have had to do was go back to the Romans, tell them what's going on, and produce the body. If they had done that, it would have all been over. Over. But they couldn't do it mm-hmm. because, as the angel said, he's not here. Right. It's a fact. Mm-hmm. In, in uh, the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians chapter number 15, when he talks about the death, burial, and the resurrection and the importance it plays, and really that whole chapter has to do with the resurrection, how it is the, cen- the central theme for all of our faith. There would be no resurrection. We're of all men most miserable. Uh, but he says that he was, he was seen of all the apostles, uh, including myself and 500 others that yep. are among you. So yep. he said there, there is a, a multiplicity of witnesses. And, I mean, those witnesses uh, outnumber the amount of witnesses that uh, witnessed the signing of the Constitution of the United States and, th- mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of yeah. uh, other things. Saw yeah. Jesus, the resurrected Lord. The multitude of witnesses um, over that 40-day period of time eliminate some of the crazy theories that, well, maybe they were hallucinating. Well, a mass hallucination? Yeah. Different times from Galilee to Jerusalem, the Emmaus Road, and over time? No. No. (laughs) That would be something if that was the case. The other thing, too, is the Jews were, you know, they they didn't know their Bible all the time. It was actually prophesied in Isaiah 53, not just the crucifixion of, of the Messiah, but his resurrection as well. I actually have that. In, in Isaiah 53, which we all know is a beautiful picture of the crucifixion, and it's an incredible prophetic passage, it says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Now, we all know what that is. That's, that's Christ on the cross. But it doesn't stop there. It says after that, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong 
his days. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you do that if you're dead? Right? So it's there. It's there in type as well. I mean, Jesus points to Jonah being three days and three nights in the whale's belly as being the penultimate picture from the Old Testament of Jesus Christ being in the center of the earth for three days and three nights. And he, it's, so it's there, not just in prophecy, but it's there in picture as well. And the Jews just miss You think it. that Jonah died in the whale's belly? I do. I wouldn't fight anybody over it, but, <laughs> you know, uh, he te- there's interesting language there. In well, out, of, out of the belly of hell, yeah, exactly. Sheol, the he place ta- of the dead. And he talks about its bars encompassing yeah. him and... And there's references to the, you know, Samson carried the bars, which is a picture of the gates of hell and all that. There, there, there's some similitude yeah. there. Oh, yeah. And again, it, it, since Jesus, and I think the most compelling of all, is that Jesus points to it as the ultimate picture. Now, you can take a type too far. Uh, sure. But it's a picture of death and resu- burial we'll f- and resurrection. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Yeah, we will. But, uh, yeah, there's a good we possibility. Will. I think I, I would have to lean more towards the fact that he died in the well's belly. Me too. And was resurrected. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, the Bible... Yeah, kind of says he <laughs> kind of says it's kind of there. there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. So what's interesting about the resurrection is that rather than just simply believe it, mm-hmm. people go to great lengths to try to explain it away. So much so that in order to establish the evidence and the validity of the resurrection, you have to first be convinced that he actually died. Mm-hmm. Now I know this sounds so, foolish. So what, when you what, tell what's the that. what's the swoon theory? So. The swoon theory is that Jesus merely fainted on the cross, passed out. I mean, he's lost a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, sure. Um, C- but cat of nine tails. Um, everything, yeah, from Gethsemane to that. Nailed to a cross, on the, spear in the on side. The cross for, exactly, and he just, he just passed out. Mm-hmm. And then in the coolness of the tomb, he revived. And let's just think about this for a second. So you lose so much blood that you lose consciousness. And and there's professional executioners who yeah. are trained in the art of death who, at your feet who, who testify that yeah. you're dead. Okay? Yeah. That's one thing. Well, and, and they, these guys would die if they did not have... Because it yeah. was life for life. It's kind of like the, yeah. the Philippian jailer. Exactly the reason the why he's going to fall on his sword is because it was his life for the life That's of those who escaped. exactly right. And not yeah. only that... But when Joseph Arimathea comes to beg the body of Jesus, they call the centurion to give eyewitness testimony and confirm that he's yep, death before he's Pilate lets you him can do get it. his body. Yep. Exactly. And these guys are, this is what they do. Yeah. They know death. Professional murderers. Exactly. Yeah. There's a job. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up, kids? That, mm-hmm. that, that's probably not Execution. high on anybody's list. But, but the idea there is that, well, he goes into the coolness of the tomb and he revives. Well, think about how foolish this is. On the other uh, if he did, he's beaten to a bloody pulp with a spear wound in his heart. He pushes the stone away, subdues the Roman guards that await him on the other side, and then where does he go? He shows up to his uh, to the women, and he shows up to, to the disciples and those on the Emmaus Road three day, uh, you know, on the third day there. Uh, he's not described as the lamb that's well, slain well, from again, the foundation how, of the world. How many wounded people who, like, you know, suffered crucifixion who revived can walk through walls. Well, exactly. And also ascend up into heaven. Yeah. So again, it goes back to all the apostles and all the disciples either were lying about this. Exactly. If it was indeed a swoon. And let's just say, okay, maybe he did that. How does that inspire these men? To go live for a lie. Exactly. They see him broken and battered. They're going to stay in fear and hiding because they know that's coming for mm-hmm. them now. You know what I mean? And and so the swoon theory is a joke. 
mm-hmm. the fraud theory that either Jesus or his disciples had simply invented the story of the resurrection. But that flies in the face of all the witnesses. It also flies in the face of the changed lives of the disciples. And again, you could argue the existence of God. You could you could contend with the philosophical arguments if you really wanted to. I don't think you you have much of a leg to stand on personally. But how do you contend with the changed lives of millions and millions of people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, overcome strongholds, had the comfort and promises of God to get them through heartache, uh, to, to die martyrs' deaths, mm-hmm. and, 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 and suffer great, great uh, torment at the hands of evildoers if it wasn't true? Yeah, even, yeah, even to this day, all to the this way to day. this day. Exactly. I mean, you and I can both give testimony of mm-hmm. the fact that God did something in our hearts and mm-hmm. changed us. Mm-hmm. And made us into somebody else that we weren't before. Mm. Yeah. So the swoon theory, the fraud theory, there's the vision theory. Those who saw Christ after he arose were simply deceived by a vision. Um, we've talked about that's a lot of people over a lot of distance right. to share a hallucination. I don't know what was in the water, but anyway. Uh, the spirit theory, which is that he rose spiritually only and not bodily. But again, he ate with the disciples. Mm-hmm. He says to Thomas, Hey, behold my hands and my yes. feet. Because yep. Thomas said out of his own mouth, unless I can put my fingers in the, in the holes, right. I will not believe. And, and then the disciples, I mean, particularly John, contends with the Gnostics of his day where it says that God came only in spirit because all flesh is evil. Right. Uh, and that's where he says that if anybody denies Jesus, you know, ain't come in the flesh, is Antichrist. That's right. Um, and so the bodily resurrection was a important, very important doctrinal point for all of the apostles. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It, it, it is the foundation of right. Christianity, bodily, bodily resurrection. resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, once again, speaking of prophecy, this was something that was um, talked about in the Old Testament. Uh, most people think that Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And Job said, those skin worms eat my body. I know that uh, with my eyes I shall see God. Amen. I know that my Redeemer liveth. So Job knew about the doctrine of the bodily resurrection. All the patriarchs buried their dead instead of burned the dead. Uh, all the pagan uh, pagan folks would burn their um, ancestors, but uh, people who believed in Jehovah God buried their dead in hope of the resurrection. Then you have uh, Daniel chapter number 12. talks about two different resurrections. The resurrection of uh, what we would call the saved, the redeemed, and then the resurrection of the unsaved damned. And this is repeated in the book of Revelation. So bodily resurrection is uh, a cor- the cornerstone for the Christian faith. That's right. That's absolutely right. And so these theories that allege that he didn't actually die, are just they're just disproven by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. I mean, very clearly. When Jesus is on the cross, they offer him you know, the vinegar, the pain-killing wine, and he, he refuses it. He, he didn't take anything to deaden the pain of crucifixion. He's on that cross for six hours. He goes on 9 a.m. He's dead by 3 p.m., um, which is recorded in Mark 15 and in Matthew 27. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, you have the testimony of one of the eyewitnesses that he's dead, the centurion. What's Luke's profession? He's physician. a medical doctor, yeah, right? So again, if you're trying this case in court, 
he is a he's a very reliable witness. Yes. He's an expert witness. Mm-hmm. He's a medical doctor mm-hmm. making these statements, and a medical doctor knows the difference between life and death, or else you should definitely get a different doctor. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, the Bible gives evidence for Christ's death in John chapter nineteen, the verses that we were just speaking about. In verse 33, it says, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And again, the reason they're breaking the legs of the other two malefactors on the cross is because when their legs are broken, they have they don't have the ability to pull themselves up. They, they say that they'll die within minutes. Yeah, they'd asphyxiate. Yes. I think that's the right word. Yes, so, yes, it is the right word. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, so after they break the legs, they would, they would be dead within minutes. Yeah, and there was no reason to do that. Again, fulfilling prophecy, because part of the prophecy of his death, I think in Psalm 22, is that, no, no bone of his would be broken. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, Luke said, even as they delivered them unto us from, uh, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So he, he, Luke, who was not one of the 12 disciples, right. was interviewing people of that day and age and that time, these eyewitnesses who witnessed all these, these things personally. Yep. Absolutely. They take him off the cross. In John 19, 39 through 40, and they prepare his body for burial. It's anointed. It's wrapped. I think it says there's 100 pounds. Spikenard. Uh, uh, yeah, all of that. And and so, again, in theory, he took nothing for the pain, hung there for six hours, was put in a tomb, wrapped up in bandages, rolls the stone away, subdues the Roman legion, and gets away on his own. Mm-hmm. Oh, what okay. takes more faith to believe? Yeah, and, and he takes time to fold um, Yes, all of his... Uh, his burial clothes. Yes. I can we can we park there for a second? Yeah. Because there's just a devotional point that I love. Yeah, here. let's do it. Okay. So <clears throat> he comes up out of the grave clothes, but he has a napkin over his face that is folded mm-hmm. in the tomb. All right. And so uh, allegedly, <laughs> the rules of etiquette when you're at a nice restaurant is that while you're enjoying your meal, if you have to get up and excuse yourself and go to the restroom or something like that, in order to notify the wait staff of your intention to return, you fold the napkin. Versus at the end of the meal, when you've paid your bill and you're getting up to leave, you just throw it on the just table. toss it on the table. Jesus' napkin is not thrown on the table. It's neatly folded to signify what? Coming again. He's coming back. I, I love that. Amen. I love that. And again, the, the stone is rolled away, not for Jesus to get out but for us to be able to look Just in, look in there, you know, uh, he, he, he walks through walls. He could easily, mm-hmm. he came up out of his clothes. He would walk right out of that thing. So Pilate, after the death of Christ inquires about it, like we talked about, confirms it in Mark chapter 15, 43 through 46. And again, if Christ have, could have survived all that he suffered, he would, it would, he would not have transformed the lives of his disciples. They go on in Acts 17, six to say that they, they turn the whole world upside down. Yeah. You're not doing that. In, in, in the book of Acts, is only a 33-year yeah. period of time, or yeah. about a 30-year period of time. Yeah. And they revolutionize that unknown world. That's right. That's right. And so, again, all of these things bear witness to the, tr- the, the fact that he was dead. Mm-hmm. And then, once you've established that scripturally, you can begin to, to get into um, the proof and the evidence that he resurrected. Now, again, there's other theories for this, too, that, again, I think take more faith to believe than just believing what the Bible says. But there's the theory that Joseph of Arimathea went back to the grave, removed the body, all right? Now, what, we, what do we know about Joseph of Arimathea? He's a good Jewish man under the law. 
And they had to have him off the cross in the grave by 6 p.m. because that's the start of the Sabbath. Now, again, it's not the Saturday Sabbath. That's, there's no, this isn't happening on Good Friday the way the Catholics would allege, but it's Passover, mm-hmm. right? So it's a holy convocation. It's one of those special Sabbaths that take place during their feast seasons. Is he going to violate the Sabbath after doing everything that he did to stay pure under the law and, and try to honor those traditions and those requirements? He's going to violate the Sabbath? Right. No, he's not going to do that. Um, and again, the following day, the Jews have the Roman guards assigned to the tomb. If Joseph stole uh, Jesus's body, uh, again, how could he have made all of those post-resurrection appearances that you were just listing off mm-hmm. in the beginning of the pod? It doesn't account for that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't account for it at all. So again, we dismiss that foolish theory. The other, another theory is that the Roman or Jewish authorities did not remove the body of Jesus from the tomb, that both the Romans and the Jews had numerous reasons for wanting Christ's body to remain in the tomb. And if they had uh, produced Jesus's body early in the book of Acts, it would have put an end to the whole thing. Done. Christianity's done. Exactly. Yeah. They didn't do it. The tomb was heavily guarded. The disciples uh, the disciples didn't steal the body either. And, and that's kind of the main argument that even many Jews believe to this day. and But the tomb was heavily guarded by Roman soldiers. They were afraid for their lives and cowering in fear. Uh, it, it doesn't explain the transformation that occurs afterwards if Christ is still dead. And why would the disciples risk their lives to propagate a story that they knew was false if he was proved to be dead? And then if Jesus was dead, then the apostles are some of the most fraudulent men who ever lived. Right? So these are, these are big arguments. There's also an argument that the women, when they showed up on resurrection morning, went to the wrong tomb, uh-huh. <laughs> right? And yet, the, again, that if they went to the wrong tomb, that means Peter and John went to the wrong tomb because they come back and get them right. and they run right. in. John stands at the entranceway. And Peter goes right in there, right? There was angels that were there. Jesus himself shows up and they suppose him, she supposes him to be the gardener. No, they went to the right tomb, all right? These are all really, really foolish arguments. There's a couple others here, but I think I'm going to skip over them. <laughs> all right. The, the bodily resurrection is confirmed by many different groups of people. In John chapter 20, he appears to Mary Magdalene. And that's that time when she thinks it's the gardener. She's about to touch him. He says, no, don't touch me. I haven't, I haven't ascended. He ascends up, he comes back, and he's there, and now they are able to touch him. There's, there's other women returning from the tomb. In Matthew 28, 9 through 10, they're able to touch him. All right, Peter in Luke 24, 34, and then Paul also mentions that in 1 Corinthians 5. Then you've got my favorite, almost one of my favorite Bible stories of, in the entire Bible, let alone resurrection account, is the disciples on the Emmaus Road. I think those dudes are some of the luckiest people in the world. Right. Those guys, not that we have to go through the whole passage, but they're walking along, having a conversation with Jesus, completely unaware that it's Jesus. They're dejected. They're confused. They don't know what's going on. And what does he do? He expounds the scripture to them. And that Bible study must have been the most thrilling Bible study that's ever been taught. I, I have a feeling that those guys use the sermon that Jesus preached to them 
throughout the entire book of Acts. Because he, 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 he taught them all that Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets yeah. said concerning himself. Yep. That's a great study. Right. I love prophecy. I think you and I have talked about this personally. Prophecy, like I said, is one of the great evidences of, of, the, of the truth of Scripture. <clears throat> but to me, all the types and pictures of Christ and, and, and different New Testament characters that show up in the Old Testament that are just sewn into like every mm-hmm. page are so much more rich. Yes. And can you imagine Jesus Christ starting in Genesis and going through and revealing himself mm-hmm. and the, as the fulfillment of all of those things? And what do they say at the end? Did not our heart burn within us as he went through a nice alliterated outline, the prophecies, the pictures, and the promises. He probably re- harkens back to some of the things he said during his ministry as well. And Yeah. Man, someday... We're, we're going to get well, that. Yes. And yeah, we'll hear be, that message. It's going to be great. And then you got the disciples in the upper room, another amazing passage. Thomas isn't there. He makes the statements that he makes, and then he sh- and then the Lord shows up to him again that following Sunday, and he says, my Lord and my God. And all the things that he thought he needed to do to be convinced and persuaded that the resurrection was true went out the window pretty mm-hmm. quick. Because he's like, here, I know, I know you need to touch me. Go ahead and do it. He's like, Oh, my Lord, my God, <laughs> right, right, I'm a right. fool. <laughs> right, you know. And then you got the seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, where he restores Peter. And then, like you said, and I think this is critical. There's one account; it's not in the Gospels, but Paul references an account where there's 500 brethren gathered together. Now, I don't know what the circumstances of that were, and I know Paul's writing this years later, mm-hmm. but he says in that verse that many of those people that were witness to that are still alive. Still in other words, us. yeah. Get in touch with them. Yeah, go go talk to them. Go interview them. Mm-hmm. If you have I mean, I know our former president's been indicted and there's going to be court cases and all that kind of stuff. But if you could if you could pull into a court of law 500 witnesses mm-hmm. with consistent testimony of a resurrected Lord. You're yeah, winning you're yes. winning your case. Yeah. I mean, you you how do you contradict that? Mm-hmm. You can have witnesses that sometimes contradict each other, but I guess what I'm saying here is the preponderance of evidence goes beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all that a Christian should feel obligated to prove. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not up to us to be able to prove every single thing. The skeptic is the one now who has to be able to counter all of the body of evidence of prophecy, of the miracles, of the of the resurrection. And the the all the historical accounts of scripture that are proven in archaeology it's just yep. profound and amazing and to have you know one trip to the one trip to the holy land but it, it's amazing old testament and new testament um, just all those many places that are right there in scripture i i uh, remember we were at the city of david and uh, the city of David is within the walls of Jerusalem, and so we were. They were they're unearthing where David's house would be, overlooking mm. uh, the Kidron Valley. And uh, you could kind of picture David up there. <laughs> Unfortunately, one thing you remember about David's house is he's up on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. comes to your mind, like right. I wonder, you know, I wonder where her house is at. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but we were up there and. Out of the ground come a bunch, about 30 school children Mm. out of the valley. And what it was is they were walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. Oh, wow. 
And um, and that's just one of the many, many, many um, provable things in the Bible that they find and uncover later. I think it was like about uh, 1930s they discovered Hezekiah's tunnel where it says in the Bible that he brought fresh water when they were, knew they were going to be seized by um, by um, Rabshakeh and, and the Assyrians. Yep. And so it says that he, he reinforced the walls, and then he brought water into the city because the city had no water up until that point. Uh, and right in the middle of the tunnels, they could see where two different groups were digging towards the same common point, and they missed each other by a foot, like one half of the tunnels about a foot lower than the other half of the tunnel where they came together because, you know, they're time crunch here because the Assyrians are coming back. Right. And then there was a plaque on the wall. You have to go to Istanbul, Turkey to see the plaque, but it was like unto the great King Hezekiah, yada, 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 like dedicating this tunnel to Hezekiah. Um, but there's thousands of things like that f- just vo- um, showing the validity and the historicity of scripture yeah. um, and all the way way back in the Old Testament, particularly in the New Testament, you know, untold amounts of evidence. That's unbelievable. I, I, um, two ladies from our church went over to Israel this year, and they have taken their pictures, their photographs of these biblical places and found all the Bible verses that go with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and some of their ladies' Bible studies have been presenting them. And they're going to do it for our church, too. It's about 90 minutes. So oh, we're great. figuring out when we're going to do it. But um, I got a, a, one of them. Her name is Linda. And she emailed me the other, yes, yesterday, I think it was, and, and said that, hey, I've, I've kind of rewickered this presentation to make it, like, present the gospel. And she's going to be presenting it to a, a group of people Thursday night this week. That's wonderful. It's very cool. I'm very excited and to see how it goes. I would, like as an unbeliever, because, again, a lot of people haven't dug into this stuff at all. They know next to nothing about Scripture other than the fact that it's antiquated and, you know, it's a thing of the past and people used to believe that stuff uh, type thing. That's a lot of Americans. They have never yeah. even opened up the Word of God. But for them to be able to show a group of unbelievers yep. – um, this is where Jesus did this, and here's here's uh, you know here's Mount Carmel, and Elijah called down fire yeah. from heaven, and just to see those places pinpoint in Scripture, that's going to be a great witnessing tool. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, I would I would I would like to go over and make that mm-hmm. trip someday. I know we're going to be there one day, and it's going to we'll be, be in great, the New Jerusalem. But I would love to. Uh, yeah. I'd love to go see some of that. So again, from a, from an apologetic standpoint, apologetics don't lead people to Christ. But what they can do is they can help remove the obstacles that somebody has to being open to the gospel, to receiving the gospel, and letting God work in their heart to bring them to Christ. There's a lot of people that don't realize that uh, Christianity is reasonable, it's rational, it's logical. Yeah. That you can worship God with your brain as well as with your your soul and your spirit, your mind, your soul, your strength. Um, and he commands us to. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest commandment in the law, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I just think that particularly when I think about my own family, I have five children. They're young. My oldest is 12. He's getting to that age now where hey, he's heard this from dad his whole life. He's grown up in church. Mm-hmm. He reads the Bible on his own, right? But at some point, just like for everybody, there needs to be a personal accountability to understanding that yeah, I know these things. They're probably true. No, they are true. Here's the evidence for it. And take ownership of your own walk with God. 
and be prepared for that day when your faith is going to be tested. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 we do what we can with our children to protect them from the wickedness of the world, yeah. the, the mind of the world, this, the wickedness of the thoughts and not just the, the, the physical things. But, but at some, and we do that for as long as we can so that they're better equipped to be successful when they have to fight that battle for themselves. But they're going to have to fight that battle That's for right. themselves. That's right. You know, salvation's not through the will of the flesh. I can't will them to salvation, and I can't will them to being persuaded the way Paul is persuaded, the way I've been persuaded. But I, I think we have an obligation to those in our church as pastors and those into our home as fathers to do what we can to be able to show this stuff. Yeah. Teach it to them. And let them take ownership. Let Thank them you. ask questions. And your, don't get your, angry at them for asking questions. And your kids are homeschooled? Yeah. Um. Now you take, now you do, you guys do uh, outreach at your church on Thursday night? We do. Uh, so when do you think one of the best ways for your kids to learn apologetics, defense of the faith, yeah. is going out soul winning and just talking to people? There's no better way. I, I just told my church, I think on Sunday, I think it was just this Sunday actually, um, I, I was excited. I was growing in my early 20s and going soul winning for the first time. I'd never done mm-hmm. that. And um, I remember one time I was witnessing to somebody, and I didn't have the answers. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a Jehovah's Witness. I'm almost positive. And I, I, I lost it. Like, I, not, <laughs> not, I didn't lose my temper. I just, like, if this is a spiritual conflict, which it is, I, I was bested. Yeah. I lost. Sure. And I, I kind of was like, it's the way you learn I'm right? never going to let this happen again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 I know he's wrong, but all I can do is tell him he's wrong. I can't show him why. Yeah. And so that motivated me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's important for our, our children to be involved in this. I don't always bring them with me. It depends on some of the neighborhoods that we go into. Sure. It can be a little rough. But, um, but yeah, M- Matthew started soul winning with me when he was like two years old. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think children, when, you're, when, you're, when you completely isolate them in Christianity, you know, the wrong way to approach Christianity, we're supposed to storm the gates of hell. Right. Gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there, you know, there is a certain balance. I'm not going to say for anybody. I, I'm raising my kids. I'm the same as you. My kids are pretty young, so and, and I'm bigger than them, so they have to do what I say. So right, <laughs> I'm no expert on parenting, but, <laughs> but uh, there's certain parameters with the world that they should have some sort of exposure to unsaved people, some sort of exposure to lost people. I'm not going to going to put them like in exclusively an echo chamber or a bubble where it's kind of like, you know, if you were never exposed to any germs, you would have no defensive mechanism. Yeah, you would right. you would um, succumb to the the slightest cold. Um, so, yeah, there, you know, one, one of the best ways to, you know, to get better at apologetics yourself is to be involved in outreach program. Um, you know, we, we go door-to-door saw winning. I... I think different areas are, are better than others as far as how much you can engage with people. The best I ever had was in the jail ministry many moons ago. Uh, every Friday, I would go through all the pods in Wayne County and talk to guys. I never went to women's pod. I, went talk, I think there was four different pods over there at that time. And um, just whoever wanted to talk and engage them, you had to like determine who's a waste of time and who's, cause some, a lot of people just want to talk to talk to somebody from the outside. Yeah, sure. Um, but for three straight hours every week, I mean, it was nonstop engagement with people from all different ideas, 
whether it's atheist or Seventh Day Adventist or Jehovah's Witness or Muslim or whatever, and you had you know this dialogue, and it really helped you exercise that muscle. A lot of times we don't have the answers because we don't know what the questions are. Yep, that's right. You know, we got to be asked that questions and be caught flat-footed. Be like, uh, gee, uh, you know. And anybody that's taught a discipleship class can attest to you learn more as a teacher than you do as a student. Absolutely. I taught, um, I think it was during COVID a few years ago, I taught apologetics as an institute class, while, um, but I did it online, mm-hmm. like sitting in front of my computer while I was at home. So there's eight hours of apologetics. So yeah. like the first one is like, what is apologetics and goes through those arguments premise by premise and then we get into like the uniqueness of scripture and then i think we spend four hours on the deity of christ and all of that you know over those four weeks and 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 it's good that's a great way to learn Mm -hmm. um i also taught a class on bible cults which examined the doctrines and and sources of authority for any quote quote unquote christian denomination that's clearly not like Mm -hmm. roman catholicism to me is the biggest bible cult in the world Mm -hmm. um uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, all of them. And it's important to learn that. But where you really get a hold of it is when you put it into action. When, when you are, like you said, actually dealing with somebody who maybe asked a question that wasn't in your book or wasn't yeah. in my lecture, yeah. and and you're thinking, it trains you to listen, yes, and it, and it really makes you dependent on God, and it really fosters that uh, drive internally to be prepared and to study. Yeah, the um, you know, the old preachers used to say this, and there was an expression, and I agree with it 100%, although the times have changed now. But um, they say, read. Oh, I say, you should, uh, how do they say, live life, or you should have the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand. Interesting. So Because you're preaching the Bible to your particular culture. Now we don't, nobody has a newspaper anymore. Yeah. So you got your cell phone. <laughs> but, in <your> <laughs> right. <laughs> so we are to um, study culture. And I think the best way to study culture is engage with culture. Absolutely. Uh, for instance, um, you know, listen to, um, I saw a t-shirt the other day. I cracked me up. It says, y'all need Jesus. Yeah. And Jordan Peterson. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a whole wait, other thing. Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, yeah, Jesus is far removed from Jordan Peterson, but uh, he's very, very, very interesting man and knows human nature very well. Yes, he does. But um, he has had years of schooling and is a prestigious reader or prolific reader. Um, but the reason why he's so good is because he's had like 20,000 hours of one-on-one um, counseling yep. with people, or clinical, uh, clinical, clinical yeah. um, practice, practice. With people. And, and he was a uh, in front of a classroom of college kids, right? And and, you the, and then they'll ask you one thing after another. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if he gets on, you know, and some little news anchor ask him something, thinks she set set him up, like, give me a break, Heard lady. This one a thousand times, yeah, right? <laughs> right. Yep. And um, so yeah, figure out a way to get out there and engage people. Absolutely. And it's real easy to do. Just go grab some tracks and Amen. Go just talk, talk to, to the people first people you that, yeah. see. And don't, you know, you just, you just have to, you know, uh, really humble yourself. Uh, and, um, you know, I know you don't have the answers. I don't have the answers, all the answers. So people are going to, you know, um, yeah, some, you're going to run into some people that are going to be, might be mean or whatever, but there's going to be some people that you're going to have a good conversation with, yep. that will sow some seeds with. And not only will they be blessed because of it, you yourself will be blessed and you'll be, you'll increase your capacity 
to to witness to other people. Absolutely. And that is a muscle. Absolutely. And I'm, and it, the more you do it, it the stronger you get, the better you get. And if you, you don't do it, it'll atrophy. Yep. Like just because you're a great sewing or like five years ago or 10 years ago. It doesn't take long to atrophy either. No. I mean, anybody that works out inconsistently, like, yeah. like, like that's been my testimony yeah. for 25 years. Every, is that, every January, uh, you it takes, you, uh, takes months to build it up and only a few weeks fitness. to lose it. Yeah. The same is true. Um, I was traveling a bit here this summer, so I missed a few weeks of our skull winning and was just back this Thursday. And I'll tell you what, the first two people I talked to, I had to shake some rust off. Yeah, yeah. It, it just, Rusty. It just is, oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, just 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 go do it. Amen. Just go do it. How, let's talk about sources really quick before we wrap this up. Sure. Um, wh- what are some good uh, people maybe to look up on YouTube and, you yep. know, disclaimers given? Here, yeah, you totally. Know? Uh, so if you're looking for... We're not endorsing, you know, you know, top to bottom, all any of these people. But. I wouldn't endorse any of the people I'm about to say for like real biblical doctrine. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for how to deal with the, the true skeptic who's not convinced uh, and thinks it's unreasonable to believe in God at all, I would say reasonablefaith.org is Dr. William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig is, is a brilliant philosopher. Um, Again, not necessarily King James Bible believer, which is too bad because I think that would make his arguments even stronger on theological issues. But he walks through philosophical arguments for the existence of God in a way that no one else can come touch. It's unbelievable. So I'd highly recommend that for that one thing. Um, in fact, if you wanted to YouTube, you and I were talking, he was on the Ben Shapiro Sunday special once. So there's an hour-long video you can watch where he, they walk through some of those arguments together and then he basically walks through the resurrection kind of like we did to Ben Shapiro. It's very good watch. Yeah. So I would recommend that. Another one is Frank Turek um, on, I don't know what his website is, but it's called cross examined on YouTube and his ministry, very similar, but um, he goes on college campuses and he debates with students. He'll give a presentation and he'll take questions and answers. So there's a lot of open mic with a lot of different mm-hmm. viewpoints and so forth. And again, I, I'm not saying go there to learn the Bible, but just learn how to interact with people, how to think reasonably, how to um, gain the upper hand in a discussion like that. Um, it, it, very good. Very good. And then, um, you know, I think I mentioned Josh McDowell's book is very good. I've never read it, but I've heard The Case for Christ is very good as well. The Case, the case for Christ, um, they're also... <laughs> Is a movie. I heard about that. Now I haven't seen it though. I watched it. It was on Netflix. It probably still is there. Um, and it was a good Christian movie. There, there, there is a lot of drama in the background, but it is a true story. The man who wrote the case for Christ yeah. uh, was a journalist, right? And he set out. Now his wife became a Christian, and he set out to disprove Christianity. So the case for Christ has sold uh, millions of copies. Uh, I have read it. It is a very good book, um, and so people people would enjoy that. Yeah. And yeah, if you wanted to get kind of like a background before you got the book, you could watch the the movie. That's and good and to know. he does give some good arguments in there. Good. I, I was aware uh, of that movie. that he was a skeptic who was trying to disprove it and got yes. converted in this pursuit of d- disproving it. Yes. And I love those testimonies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the most important thing: read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Study your Bible and pay attention to what you're reading. I mean, look, when we're talking about, you know, what's wrong with these theories, we're, we're disproving those by what the scriptures actually right. say. So there is no substitute for studying your Bible, knowing it, and, and, and being able to use it in those situations. And that comes with practice and study. And those are the things that I would definitely focus on. Yeah. Any books? 
doesn't come to mind off the there's, top of my head. Um, there's a classic. Well, more that, than a carpenter. Yeah. Is, is, it's like a short version of yes. evidence that demands a verdict. Those are convenient little More than reads. a carpenter. Uh, the classic of mere Christianity. Yep. That, that's a really good one. And yeah, he's, I got to he, he, he starts with a pyramid. I'll give it to you. I got a copy here. Okay. Um, I mean, C.S. Lewis is a brilliant, brilliant speaker, brilliant writer. Uh, his theology is a little left-leaning, uh, but he was definitely a saved individual. Uh, and, yeah, he, he starts with, like, an argument for the existence of God and narrows it down to Jesus Christ uh, oh, in nice. that book. And I know um, there's been many high-profile people who have been converted reading that book. And so that book has done a very good job. Uh, there's a book that I read one time. It's called Tactics, and it's by Gregory Kukul, and it is a shorter book. I think it's only probably, like, uh, 130 pages, uh, and he taught, and he he is an apologist. He does speak on college campuses, and he um, teaches you how to uh, reason or um, debate with somebody, and that's why it's called tactics and it, for Christianity. Like get into that logic mode. For you know, for instance, um, you know, a life started six billion years ago. Well, um, you know, where what what was going on before that? What where did matter come from? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where did life come? So, you know, he, right. he'll teach these different things. Uh, and then um, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Uh, Tim Keller pastored uh, Redeemer Presbyterian. He started that uh, down in New York City. But he, they had uh, hundreds, perhaps thousands of uh, young white-collar workers in Manhattan, college-educated people uh, get converted at his church. One of the things that he would do uh, after every Sunday morning service, um, and he, he would uh, open it up for questions. And so there would be skeptics. I mean, you know, right out of secularism, Manhattan, New York, college ed- educated people working on Wall Street. Uh, and so he had constant dialogue with this. So the, um, the reason for God, I've given out a bunch of copies to that. And I would, I would, um, give that book to an unbeliever, someone who is a reader. It's not a hard book to read, but man, it is, it is really good. Uh, you know, our, our arguing for the existence of God and particularly, you know, the Christ of the Bible. So I'll have to check that one out. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Hey, thanks for being on. This was awesome. My pleasure. Thank and you. You're a busy guy. And, uh, We all appreciate, speaking on behalf of the audience, we all appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this, man. No, praise the Lord. Thank you. All right. Well, I know we'll have you on again sometime unless the Lord comes back. So I'd be okay with that too. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, God bless each and everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget October 27th, we're having New York Baptist for Biblical Biblical Values Rally here with Dr. David Gibbs and also uh, Dr. Johnny Pope and uh, one night event on a Friday night. And then, uh, Brother Mike, you've got a rally coming up. October 20th, Trinity Oct- Baptist Church. O- October 20th, Trinity Baptist Church. Be there or be nowhere. Amen. All right. God bless each. Thank you so much for watching or listening to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. And we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at pastorthoughtsmail at gmail.com. Also, if you want to check out more about our ministry here, you can visit pastorjack.org. I do have a blog that I do write. I'd love to have you as one of my subscribers there. Also, if you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, and share. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.